Hello and welcome back to Drunk Musical Theater. Hi everybody, I love Disney. The movies, the theme parks, the songs, wow. I just love it. I love most of their movies, especially those from the 90s. Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Pocahontas, Hercules, and especially The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now, before you turn off this podcast, please hear me out. The Hunchback of Notre Dame is loosely based on the novel Notre Dame de Paris de Victor Hugo by Victor Hugo. The loosely based terminology is only about story aspects that Disney changed because, well, it's Disney. There are some themes and events in Hugo's story. They're not kid-friendly, and I will talk about those things later. But one thing that we can all agree on is the beautiful music that was included in the original Disney film. In 1999, the movie was actually brought to the stage for the first time in Berlin. Disney kept their name on it this time. However, when the English language production happened in San Diego, California, the Disney name was removed. You'll see why shortly. Honestly, The Hunchback of Notre Dame is, in its many forms, has some amazingly gorgeous music. So let's get started. Okay, so I am one song in. And I already had to take nineteen drinks because there were nineteen mentions of a name in this first bit, um, the Bells of Notre Dame, which um has that signature um sorry sort of storytelling. It's almost like a Greek chorus moment in the show. Um, in the original Disney movie, um, Frollo actually finds Quasimodo because he thinks that a small gang of gypsies is stealing something, um, and he knocks the, the one, the woman down, and she falls to the ground, and, and then he picks up, uh, the baby, only to realize, oh, it's actually a baby, not stolen goods. And so, um, after that, he doesn't feel anything, and he's not like, oh, you know, I feel bad now. Which he should, but whatever, we'll get to him later. Um, the, one of the major story changes comes in this first bit where you find out, well, at least for this story's purposes, um, Claude Frollo actually had a brother, and his name was Jean, and um, his brother was sort of um, reckless, and he was more interested in having fun with his life than being religious, and um, so Claude and Jean seek shelter um, because they were orphans, um, so they, they went to, um, Notre Dame to have somewhere to live, and they were allowed to live there, as long as they upheld the the rules, and Jeanne didn't care for that, so he broke the rules too many times, and he was kicked out, and then he knocked up some gypsy girl, and, um, Quasimodo was born, and then, when Claude Frollo found him, he was dying of something, some unexplained thing. <laughs> and so, um, 
then um, Jayon says, hey, you know, if you can find it in your heart, um, raise it with this child, I'm gonna, I'm beyond saving, I'm gonna die. And then he does, and, um, and I had to take a drink for that, and, um, Frollo takes the child and decides to raise him as as his own. Um, so that's one major difference. So now I am a little bit further along. I got through Out There, which is relatively the same as it was in the movie. Topsy-turvy and Rest and Recreation, which um, are pretty much... the uh, Topsy-turvy is pretty much the same. Um, they split it into a couple different parts in this one. Um, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But Rest and Recreation is new um, for the English language production. Um... And it would be something that would be totally appropriate to have in the film. But um, as far, it probably wasn't included just because of like the runtime or something. And so Rest and Recreation is a song that introduces the character um, Phoebus, um, who in this version has actually come from war. Um, and he's excited because he's li- he made it to Paris a little bit early so that he could take a little bit of time off before he needs to take over as captain of the guard um, because he's just been promoted and that's cool, you know, and all that stuff is explored in the song, Um, you know, and he's talking about, um, give me your girls of pleasure, your grapes of Merlot, um, the things I treasure, one large sample, sample at my leisure, this three-day furlough should be ample. And so he's talking about um, how excited he is to get away from the war um, or the siege that they mention. Um, I'm not sure exactly what time period this was supposed to be, but it was a long time ago. Um, I think in the novel it was sometime in like the 1430s or something, so I really don't know historically what would have been happening um but you know good for him that he finally gets a little time off except then Frollo comes in and says hey you know we're actually really busy right now and it's great that you're here early so you could start early um which I feel like is kind of a dick move it's like dude you didn't say I need to be here for three more days but well too bad <laughs> so now I'm through Rhythm of the Tambourine and the end of Topsy Turvy. Um, basically, the Rhythm of the Tambourine song is um, Esmeralda's big um, introduction number. Um, we get to see her, strut her stuff, do a lot of dancing. I took a, a little um, sip of wine because there's this kind of kind of a dance break where there's really not a lot going on except cool dancing um in that one and um there were a couple more places to drink for they said some names like Copan the main narrator of the show especially the movie actually um in the show they have more of a Greek chorus feel where um there's a lot of congregants who are just sort of in the back of this on the back of the stage um and they're presumed to be inside the um, the actual cathedral during different times. 
Um, and honestly, for me, that's like a dream role. Like, that's amazing. Like, they get to have their music in front of them as well. I don't know if it's actually their music that they have open, but they have music folders that are open and they're singing and it looks like it's almost like they're singing from the pews. It's really cool. Um, and they also have some some other characters sort of like gargoyles, but they don't use the gargoyles the same way the Disney movie uses them. Um, the Disney movie has actually been highly criticized for using the gargoyles the way that they did because people are just like, hold on, that's not okay. You can't make these figments of, um, Quasimodo's imagination into real characters the way that they did in the movie. Like, they're just like, this is offensive and this, this is something that would make Victor Hugo roll over in his grave. And while I can understand that, you know, other people see it a different way. Like, my mom really loves the Gargoyles. And she says, I love their song, A Guy Like You. It's so funny and so needed because the rest of the movie is so sad. Um, you know, those characters play an important role because they're comic relief. So I can see both sides, but it is a really serious story. It's very intense. And people who are offended by the Gargoyles being there the way they are, I can definitely... I kind of side with them, honestly, because I'm just like, this is a Victor Hugo story. You go into it, you know, and you got to expect Victor Hugo, which is really sad, really intense, you know, and if you're familiar with Les Mis, that's also, that's his other big book, you know, and he has lots of beautiful poetry that's also probably very tragic, some of it. And so, you know, he's really good at writing tragedy, um, and, you know, we're going to talk more about that later um, in this podcast as it gets to the end of this show. Um, but I'm going into um, the part where um, Quasimodo's crowned um, king, the king of fools. And then, um, you know... Claude Frollo finds out that he was out and he gets really mad, obviously. So, here we go. Alright, at this point, I have gone through God Help the Outcast, which is by far the most famous song in this whole trip, this whole musical. Um, it's a pretty amazing song. It's really beautiful. Um, it's not performed by Demi Moore in the, the original film. Um, who might be good at singing, but she didn't sing this one. It was performed by someone named Heidi Mullen or, or something like that. Um, and she did an amazing job. Everybody loved it. Um, yeah, it's this gorgeous song about, um, Esmeralda wishing a better life for her people. Um, you know, the gypsies who are really struggling to live, um, because it's hard for them to get a job and get money, and so basically they've been reduced to beggars on the streets who just kind of perform for, um, their income, which is little little to nothing, um, and the church is oppressing them, um, or at least Frollo is trying to oppress them because, um, probably he disapproves of their lifestyle, which has a lot to do with pleasure and, um, yeah, making love outside of, um, marriage and things like that. And so, you know, I guess it makes sense, you know, but that's the kind of thing that happens when the government and the church, you know, church and state are actually really connected like they were in the 1430s. Um, and so, yeah, it really sucks. Um, 
but I didn't have to drink that much. I don't, so I actually did get to see the show with this cast, the cast that's on the studio cast recording, um, in it. And it was amazing and fantastic and incredible. Just wonderful. Um, but I can't actually recall if she cried at the end of the song. Um, but it's a really sad song and it's about her really, you know, it's like her praying to a God she doesn't even know if, you know, he exists or if he would listen to her prayer, you know, sort of as she, um, kind of opens the song with, you know, I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even there, I don't know if you would listen to a gypsy's prayer. Um, and it's, it's really sad, you know, and so if she didn't cry, you know, that's, that's fine, but I took a drink as if she had. Um, so let's move on. Okay, so at this point, um, we've gone through Top of the World and The Tavern Song, which are two new songs that weren't included in the original film, even though they're totally, well, at least Top of the World is totally appropriate and great. And it would have been really, really cool if it was in the movie, but it was probably not included because it would have made the runtime longer and they were trying to please their mostly kid audience. Let's just face it, it's Disney. And so um, Top of the World is really beautiful. Um, I took a drink because I think I would categorize it as a love scene. Um, This is, yeah, Esmeralda has um, come into... Um, Notre Dame and she is meeting um, with Quasimodo who probably heard her singing um, God Help the Outcast and came down and said oh hey remember me I was just you know humiliated out there Um, and then they go up to uh, the bell tower and they look down on the city and um, Esmeralda finally has the chance to admire um, how beautiful it is when you're looking from so far away and you're not in the midst of all of the hustle and the hurry and the struggle. Um, and it's really gorgeous. Um, you know, and it's the first time that you get to hear from the gargoyles. They sing, Quasimodo, t- say something, take our advice. Be brave and say something. Please don't think quite twice. Quasimodo, say something. And so you have to take three drinks. Um, because they say his name, and then he says, Esmeralda, um, and I have to take another drink, but, um, one thing that's kind of interesting is that, um, in Victor Hugo's original novel, Quasimodo was, um, he was mute, um, and I definitely prefer the singing type of Hunchback of Notre Dame, personally, you know, I, I love, you know, Quasimodo, uh, as he is in the movie and, um, in this production and everything. It's just a little bit weird. It's a little strange because, excuse me, he appears to have, like, a, a speech problem, um, where his, his speaking voice is kind of lame sounding, I should say. I'm not really sure how to categorize it, um, but it's, it's, it's like he's slow or something. It sounds like he's slow. Um, but then when he sings, he's just this fabulous singer. You know, he's, it's Michael Arden doing, um, playing, uh, Quasimodo in this version. And he's just amazing and fantastic. And I love it. Um, it's just a little bit awkward. 
But, you know, it is what it is. And I'm not saying it's anything bad. It's just kind of weird. But, you know, I, I I got over it, especially because it's just such a wonderful show overall. And it's just so beautiful. It's so fantastic. So, yeah. Okay. So, at this point... Um, you've gone through Heaven's Light and Hellfire. Um, Heaven's Light, you know, is a very brief, cute little song about um, Quasimodo, you know, really wishing that, um, and really hoping, you know, like, he he feels this love, you know, all of a sudden for someone, and he feels like he has a chance with Esmeralda, even though in real life he kind of doesn't, and she's just nice to him because he's Quasimodo. Um and she's a nice person, but, um, you know, I, we'll find out how it actually ends up, tur- how it turns out, and it doesn't end up with them together, as you might have figured, just like in the movie, um, and that Hellfire is still one of the creepiest songs ever. It's one of the best villain songs that is in the Disney canon. It's great and fantastic. Um, the guy who plays... Uh, Claude Frollo, um, in this recording is just incredible. His name is Patrick Page. And if you haven't checked him out, like on YouTube or something, like search him and just search. I think, um, I think I already posted the cast recording, um, the studio cast recording from this show to YouTube anyway. And so if you just listen to that version of Hellfire, literally like listen to that and then watch you know, the, um, the video from the movie, the clip from the movie, because literally this guy sounds like identical to the guy who was in the movie. I can't think of his, that actor's name off the top of my head right now, but oh my gosh, it's just incredible. And well, when we were watching it, like afterward, I, like my dad's just like, Hey, is that the same guy? And I'm like, no, it's not. But wow, that was amazing. And then comes this one really awesome song. I think it's my favorite song in the whole show. It's called Esmeralda. And it's the song that closes the first act. Um, it's just super incredible. Um, there's a lot of drinking involved because they say a lot of names. I actually recorded the amount of times they say a name. And almost it's almost always Esmeralda. And it was 24 times. Um, and so I... Um, I got to take a sip of wine every time they said Esmeralda and literally the song is just amazing and incredible. If you haven't heard this, uh, this song yet, you know, go to my channel on YouTube, which is literally just search Caitlin Graber or search the Hunchback of Notre Dame studio cast recording, um, or the Hunchback of Notre Dame Esmeralda. It'll pop up. It's great and fantastic. And I love it. Um, it's just so gorgeous. Um, it has some really beautiful things in it. One of my favorite things is about this one is that it includes everyone's feelings about what's going on at the same time. So it's one of those songs um, where the whole the entire cast is singing together. And so I took a, a drink for that. Technically, I said the entire cast are singing in a fugue-like manner. But literally, I think that only happens in like Les Mis when they sing One Day More. And yeah, obviously we're going to get to that at some point. Um, I'm a little worried because Les Mis is so long. I might have to do it in two parts um, or else I don't even know because 
I don't think I could take that much uh, wine in one night, personally. But, and there's so many names, so many names that are said, sung in that musical, and it's just a lot. So, we'll see. But, um, I still uh, took a drink because everyone was singing together, um, and everyone was sharing their feelings. One of my favorite things about that song, though, is, um the the congregants of the um the cathedral um Notre Dame start singing this gloria um sort of in the background because um Claude Frollo come you know approaches everyone and says hey i've heard the calling of the lord the time has come to take our city back. We'll save our Paris. Expunge this heathen gypsy horde. Before we're overrun, we must attack. Was what he sings. And then all Paris burns for Esmeralda. Then I just singing of Esmeralda and the bells of Notre Dame. And that's how... And then they do their... Ah, 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 ah. Not sure if that was very good. Sorry about that. But... Um, it ends the first act, and then, um, we'll get on with the rest. Okay, um, so at this point, we're, um, a couple more songs in. Um, the interact is just gorgeous, it's fantastic, it sort of summarizes what just happened in the past, in the first act, and then, um, it introduces a new um, theme, a new song, which is gorgeous. Um, if you've ever seen the movie and you've watched the credits, um, there's actually a song that's in the credits that's just gorgeous. It's called Someday. Um, and this is a version of the song um, that for some reason was recorded and just never included in the actual movie um, beyond the credits. So it's it's gorgeous, you know, and this song we're going to revisit a little bit later. But it's sort of... Um, Esmeralda's prayer um for the future so she she thinks she's gonna die anyway but she wants um she you know she kind of expresses her hopes for the future that she's not gonna see um which is really sad but it's really gorgeous so we'll talk about that in a little while but for now um there's a song called Flight Into Egypt, which actually is the first song, um, the first official song of the second act, you know, the first song with the actual characters. Um, the interact is gorgeous, but like, um, like I said, but it has mostly the congregants from um, the, the church, and they're all singing in Latin. So it's really gorgeous. They're, they're singing um, Latin words to the tunes that we've already heard so there's a little bit of um heaven's light and out there and some really gorgeous stuff a little bit of um you know the title song the bells of notre dame well not the title song but you know what i mean um the bell the notre dame theme song and then um (laughs) they they go into flight into egypt which mostly features quasimodo and this other character who's interesting you know to say the least like he's he's supposed to be the comic relief um and his name is saint aphrodisius and aphrodisius 
and that's great. Um, he's, he's supposed to be the angel who led, um, who told Joseph and the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, that they needed to, um, get out of Egypt so that Jesus wouldn't be killed. Um, and that's great. Um, but it's just, it's kind of weird. They tried really hard to make a comic relief. And it was literally, I think the only part of the whole show that I was really confused about, I was like, this is supposed to be funny. I'm really not getting it. Um, and I don't know if I like it. Like, I don't know if it fits with the rest of the story, but, um, there's this, um, it's sort of like a portrait at the top of the, the stage basically of St aphrodisius and he's there the whole time and then all of a sudden it they make it look like he has a really long neck and then he's like a person all of a sudden and he's talking to quasimodo which maybe it's supposed to be an extension of the gargoyles or quasimodo seeing him in his own imagination maybe that's really what it's supposed to be um and it's supposed to be helping quasimodo to be inspired basically what it is is um the scene in the movie where Quasimodo um, discovers what the necklace that Esmeralda gave him um, is supposed to mean. Um, There's a scene where he and Phoebus are in the bell tower and they're looking at it and then Quasimodo realizes, oh, it's a map of the city. There you go. Um, And so that's cool. It's just, um, I still feel like it's kind of an awkward scene in the show and you see on stage but you know uh it's not bad it's just interesting okay so at this point um we should be through the court of miracles in a place of miracles and justice in paris so the court of miracles is the same song that was in the film um i really don't think anything changed about it it's a really short little thing um, a little ditty sort of about um, how you know Quasimodo and um, Phoebus um, finally find the place they were supposed to meet Esmeralda and it's underground and um, they find the gypsy's den and the gypsies tell them oh well we're gonna have to kill you because you know where we are now um, and we can't let that happen, because if you know where we are, then you could tell whoever you want, and that's a problem, so there's that, and then In a Place of Miracles is, um, a beautiful new song, it's, um, Phoebus and Esmeralda finally kind of confessing their love for each other, so since it's sort of an obligatory, an obligatory love scene, I took a drink, um, I can't, remember if they actually kiss or not they say that they're locked in an embrace in the song but that could be a hug and I I feel like they didn't actually kiss because they were too busy singing during that that whole song um which is fine and so I don't know exactly um I feel like they didn't actually kiss at all um but you know that's it is what it is that's fine um and there's a really short little song after that called Justice in Paris. And it's about how, um, you know, people were beginning to fi- um, discover that um, a gypsy was going to burn at dawn at Notre Dame. Um, and 
there's nothing to drink about during that one, but it's, it's there, you know, and it's just kind of setting it up for the end. Um, and so we'll see what happens next. Okay. So at this point we should be through someday and while the city slumbered, um, someday is just gorgeous. Um, like I was saying earlier, it was featured in the film, but only in the credits. So, you know, if you actually were watching the credits and you heard, um, that version of Someday, it's pretty, um, it's a little bit different though than the one that's featured in this, um, show. Um, and, you know, if you go to my YouTube channel and you find, um, Someday, it's gorgeous. Um, it's actually a duet between... Um, Esmeralda and um, Phoebus and they're singing together about you know how much better life could be and hopefully you know and she's singing about how much she hopes that that happens all those things are finally um, realized after she's gone because she she's been captured and she knows that she's going to be um, she's supposed to be burned basically like at the stake um and in the movie you know there is a scene where that happens for a little while and it's it's really heartbreaking um I don't think she cried and I I know I didn't cry um at least this time I think I cried when I saw it in the um on stage but honestly like when you actually get the whole audiovisual experience it's super great and you know a lot more emotional you know and for me it was a total surprise it was absolutely brand new you know I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat you know and every word is brand new you know because this is a new song so it was a uh, really meaningful um it still is you know it's just different it's a different experience when you can't see the characters going through it um and while the city slumbered it is a very short um little um, Greek chorus moment where they're talking about um, what's going on. Um, they say, while the city slumbered, Quasimodo uh, sat awake as the night grew pitilessly onward. Um, and basically it's about him. You know, he's just like, I don't know what I can do. How can I help? You know, he's going to kill Esmeralda and I love her. You know, like, what can I do? Um, and then the next song is actually really, it really hits the heart of that. It's called Made, Made of Stone. It's really sad. Um, and after that one is just a finale. And so, um, I'm going to come back after those and I'll tell you all about it then. Wow. All right. So that means we got through Made of Stone in the finale. So Made of Stone is this gorgeous song it's really sad um it's basically Quasimodo trying to um sort of gain his independence from the gargoyles so during the song he sings about you know you who sound so nice why haven't you been any help to me you know why why has all of the uh, advice that you give have given me uh really backfired and just messed everything up for for me um so he ends up being chained up in the bell tower for a little while because Frollo doesn't appreciate that he got out um to go find Esmeralda and so um 
yeah, he's chained up and, um, but he, he has so much, he has this inhuman Hulk-like strength that he summons and he gets free and, um, there's this huge climactic moment. Um, so in the original novel, I think that he was mute, like I had mentioned earlier. Um, and so it's that much bigger of a deal that he would be able to uh, leap out from the bell tower and um, hold up Esmeralda to keep her from being burned anymore and yell out, sanctuary, sanctuary, uh, which would essentially have been like his first words that he was able to open his mouth and speak and keep her safe and then get her into the um the safety of the church and so um that happens in the finale of course and he gets her to safety um in the bell tower and then he um he sends the um he tries to block uh, block out the uh the soldiers and the people from getting into the church to try and get Esmeralda um, so he, he throws things down at them, objects, and then that doesn't work out. They use them to get the doors down, and they, uh, right as they're gaining entrance, um, Quasimodo gets the idea to pour molten lead on them. Um, I had to take, like, 18 drinks during the finale, though, because there's so much name dropping. Um, and so there's a lot of names in that song, um... And because I cried, um, spoiler alert, Esmeralda dies, so uh, it's another time to take a, a drink. Um, in the original Disney movie, um, you know, she was kind of labored breathing and all this stuff because she was caught, you know, stuck so close to fire and almost being burned alive. And all of a sudden she's breathing fine and whatever. And then, you know, Disney decided they need to make a sequel, which was just horrible and whatever just awful but um in the Victor Hugo version and the stage version um she dies because of all the smoke inhalation and stuff and it's really sad but it's just it's more meaningful you know sometimes tragedy is hard and it's sad and obviously like tragedy by definition is tragic but that's the thing like it's that much more powerful when it's that sad um you know it makes that much more of a difference you know and it it makes you think and it makes you it really makes you feel instead of being a disney cop-out where everything's okay just because it's disney or something so yeah um so she dies and then quasimodo's enraged of course you know this is the girl i loved how could you do this why would you kill her you know how you don't know anything about love you know because for those there you don't know anything you know how could you understand me how could you understand love and then quasimodo picks up uh claude frollo with his big strong arms and he throws him off of the church, which is what happens in the original novel. He throws him off of the church into the abyss below. And Frollo dies. So it's pretty dramatic. 
Um, you know, and I think it's great. Instead of being one of those Disney cop-out endings where he was holding onto the the edge of the church and then it broke under him and he fell. You know, it, sort of like Gaston's death in um, Beauty and the Beast as well. But, you know, it it is what it is. And like I said at the beginning of the video, I love Disney. You know, Disney's awesome and I really enjoy a lot of their movies. Like, especially the ones from my childhood. Not Maybe they just have extra nostalgia or something. I don't know. My favorite Disney movie ever is actually Beauty and the Beast. And I don't really mind the fact that Gaston is holding on to the castle and it breaks under him and that's how he dies. It kind of helps you feel more for the beast. And then, you know, he's dying all this, you know, and then Belle confesses her love for him and kisses him and says, but I love you. And then he comes back to life as a beast and you don't have to feel like, oh, but he's a killer. Even though maybe he is when, you know, as when he was a beast, I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, this, this version of the Hunchback of Notre Dame is great. It's like incredible and I'm not really sure exactly what happened to make it not come to Broadway. Um, I saw it at the La Jolla Playhouse in San Diego. It was gorgeous. It was fantastic and just amazing. Um, and then after its run at the La Jolla Playhouse, it transferred to the Paper Mill Playhouse, which is in New Jersey. And usually if a show goes to the Paper Mill, that's because they're trying to find a, a, a new home somewhere on Broadway or somewhere somewhere just in New York. Um, so they're trying to find a theater that they'd be able to um, do their production at um, that's in New York and preferably on Broadway. But, you know, you, you see what happens. And so I think that one of the problems with the show, I, I love this show, but I think one of the reasons why it didn't um, transfer to Broadway was because it, um, because of the staging. So it's a really awesome show, and the staging in it is really cool too. But like I had mentioned earlier, they have this, they have scenes that have congregants who are in Notre Dame, the cathedral, and that's great. Except they're like, the way they have the stage set up is that they have, they have a spot for the, those congregants, always just there so that when they need to be there then they're there and when they don't they're not and then they have the gargoyles which are sort of they kind of come out when they need to do a when they when they're speaking or singing or talking to Quasimodo or whatever and then they have everything else is going on on stage so I think what what happened was they couldn't find a place that would be able to house them they couldn't find a stage where they could do all the things that they had been doing previously which I feel like is kind of strange but I don't know. Or maybe, you know, the, the, the right stage just wasn't available at the time. I don't know. And so I'm really hoping that one day this show will become a big hit and it'll make it through New York and it'll come back and do a U.S. tour and it'll just be amazing and fantastic and incredible, just like it was. Um, you know, I really hope that it gets the chance to shine again and that more people get the chance to see it because it was just just amazing. It was probably one of the best shows I've seen. Like, I think it would probably rank in my top 10 favorite musicals, just because it's 
just gorgeous, fantastic, and amazing. Um, so I hope that you enjoyed um, Drunk Musical Theater um, on The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And I hope that you listen to the rest of my stuff. I, I'm sure I'll have a lot of really cool stuff coming up pretty soon. Thank you. Bye.